Hello, family. Good to see you guys. Isn't Jesus wonderful? He's pretty wonderful. Grab your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, we're going to be verse 1 is where we're going to start today. Jesus uh, is just hours away from being betrayed by a friend, uh, arrested on false charges, murdered in a grisly fashion, and uh, buried by a stranger he doesn't know in a grave that's not his own. Uh, in this story that we're about to read, Jesus is, is both literally and literarily, he is surrounded by dark ugliness. And yet we see this woman walk into a room and literally pour beauty upon him in a scandalously extravagant uh, way. So with that said, please give your attention to the reading of God's beautiful word. The plot to kill Jesus. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Jesus anointed at Bethany. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarius and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Judas to betray Jesus. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him, betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Thank you. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, you teach us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. And so we thank you for your word that you've written and spoken to us. Give us ears that would want to hear what you have to say. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would nourish us by your word, by the spiritual food that we desperately need to live. And we pray that you would do it in the sacred name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I just want to start by asking you a, a question. Just answer it, you know, in your own heart right now. But uh, where does beauty rank in your system of values? Okay, food, water, shelter, transportation, clothes, uh, truth, goodness, 
Where does beauty rank in your system of values? Would you say that it probably ranks like near the bottom or does it rank somewhere near the top of what you value? Think about that for a second. Uh, how would you act if you were in the presence of beauty? Well, let me put it a different way. If you were to find yourself suddenly in the presence of pure beauty, how confident are you in your abilities to actually recognize it? Uh, I, I want to begin with a quote from Elaine Scarry, who is professor of aesthetics at Harvard University. She makes the case that beauty is actually, get this, necessary. Beauty is actually necessary for us to become a just society in her book on, called On Beauty and Being Just. It's a very interesting topic. Professor Scary says this, quote, What is the felt experience at the moment one stands in the presence of a beautiful boy or flower or bird? It seems to incite, even require, the act of replication. Beauty brings copies of itself into being. It makes us draw it, take photographs of it, or describe it to other people. Beauty prompts the begetting of children. For when the eye sees something beautiful, the whole body wants to reproduce that person. There is a very unique and a very special power within beauty, brothers and sisters. It's a special, unique power that we don't find in truth, and we don't find it in goodness. It's this other thing, and we need it. One of the ways that you know when you are actually witnessing something that is truly beautiful is that there is a deep impulse within you and I to want to respond to it, to want to stand up and clap and cheer or in some way capture it or copy it or even replicate it, however feeble that replication might be to the original. Have you noticed that? Beauty makes us respond like nothing else with this thought. This is kind of like how I phrase it, all right? It makes us want to respond with this thought. There should be more of that in the world. Whatever that is, I want more of that in the universe. That's what beauty draws out of us. That's what pulls out of us like nothing else does. We must respond when we are in the presence of actual beauty. It's a phenomenal thing to think about. Now, there is another value. There's another value that actually fights against beauty. It's a philosophy called utilitarianism. Utilitarianism is the philosophy of thinking that something is valuable only to the degree that it is functional. Utilitarianism says that function trumps form, where aesthetics is saying that form is prior to function. And so, to the degree that something is functional, it has value. So, to the degree that it is not functional, it doesn't really have any value in our life or in society. That's thinking utilitarian. 
So being practical or being efficient. Efficiency is part of this thinking. Being efficient with our limited resources. So now what happens when these two values come into the same room? Like literally walk into the same room at the same time. Well, that's what we're reading about. Jesus Christ and the gospel is the most beautiful thing the world has ever known. And it requires a full body, full person response to it. And what we see in this passage is that the practical can be an obstacle for us properly responding to the beauty of Jesus. The good can actually be the enemy of the great. And that's why we need to hear what is written in these words. You see, Mark wants us to know that acts of excessive, extravagant love are a fitting response to the beauty of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Acts of excessive, extravagant love are a fitting response to the beauty of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is going to do a couple things here. He's, Jesus is going to address the criticism that that, of that kind of response. And then he's going to give his approval of that kind of response, that extravagant acts of extravagant love. He's going to give a, that critique. He's going to address that. And then he's going to give his approval. All right. And we're going to look at each of those in turn today. First of all, we learn here that no act of extravagant love towards Jesus is wasted. It's not wasted. Let's look here in the text, verse 4 and 5. But there were some who said to themselves, and we know who these were because we can go to Matthew's account, we can go to Luke's account, we know that there are the disciples. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. And simply put, this woman displays an excessive, extravagant love for Jesus. And she does it right in the middle of this party. It's really an awkward time and place to do this. This was not on the agenda for the host. Uh, her perfume, we read here, is worth more than a year's wages, and it all goes on Jesus from head to foot because she's broken the bottle. And she's not going to save any of this. Um, just, you need to picture this. Can you picture this in real life? Picture it dripping from his hair. This is a pretty good sized bottle. Picture it dripping off of his hair, and it's dripping from his beard, and it's down his clothes, down to the hem of his robe, and now, even now, it's making puddles and pools under his chair of perfume. And think to yourself, tomorrow, well, whatever wasn't soaked in Jesus' clothes will have evaporated. It's over. It'll be gone tomorrow. What was this all about? The disciples smugly say, she wasted 
all that on Jesus. <clears throat> Indignant, right? She wasted all that on Jesus. Why would she do that? You see, in their minds, what she did was a gross misallocation of a very good resource. In the Greek, it literally says here that they snorted their nostrils at him. They're angry. Okay? That's what it says. And they're tearing into this woman. This is a dog pile. That's what that word scolded means. This wasn't like, yeah, we have a difference of opinion. They're tearing into her. She wasted this expensive perfume on Jesus. And and it tells us, here's the reasoning for berating this woman. It could have been. It could have been sold and given to the poor. Could have been. Hypothetically. In an imaginary world. Guys, this has always been the knockdown argument against the church and against Christians doing anything extravagant with its money and resources. That's the argument. Knockout argument, right? Find the least, cheapest, quickest, aesthetically bland thing we can get with God's money, right? Here it is. It could have gone to the poor. Not because they actually care about the poor. In fact, the other gospel writers let us know they don't care about the poor. In fact, one guy was, wanted it because he was stealing from the treasury. That's actually why. It's, so it's not because they actually care about the poor. It's because they're using the poor. They're using the poor to criticize acts of extravagant devotion and sacrifice to Jesus. Hypothetically, that money spent, that time that was spent, that sacrifice that was made could have been spent directly to the poor. It didn't need to go through Jesus to get to the poor. It could have just gone directly to them. Why would she do that? Why would she give that to Jesus? And therefore, that extravagant act of love towards Jesus, well, that was definitely a waste. What a shame. Shame on you, lady. That's what they're saying. James Edwards is a professor of religion at Whitworth University. He says about this very scene, these words, quote, In asserting that there could have been a better use for the money, however, they actually demean Jesus as well whom they regard as unworthy of such extravagance. The world has never had a problem with religion in moderation. It has no problem with too much wealth or too much power or sex or influence, but it has a problem with too much religion. And that's evident right here. And so Jesus directly corrects their criticism. He says this in verse 6, But Jesus said, leave her alone. He comes to the defense of this woman, as Jesus is always coming to the defense of women. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a what? Beautiful thing to me. Jesus says, they say, you did a wasteful thing. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. She 
she, you guys are wrong. What she's done to me is not wasteful. It's actually beautiful in, I, in my eyes. And then he gives two reasons to counter their reason. In, in verses 7 and 8, he says this, For, so that's a, this is the foundation of his, what he just said before. So this is reason. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. So here it is, reason one. You ready? Hypothetical, imaginary acts of charity don't really help anybody. Therefore, they're not beautiful. Real, actual acts of devotion and love towards Jesus are beautiful in his eyes. Why? Because you're actually putting it out there in reality towards him. The disciples complained, well, she could have given the money to the poor and it could have done a lot of good for them. And Jesus counters, yes, she could have. You're right. She could have done that. But listen, you still have an opportunity every day to do good to the poor. What she did does not in any way stop you from caring for the poor. This is not a zero-sum game. She's not getting in your way of taking care of the poor. And by the way, you have a duty to take care of the poor, Christian. So he's actually affirming that we are duty-bound to do that. He's just saying like, what she's doing doesn't in any way inhibit that. But she did do something to me. In actuality, in reality, she did do something to me. She is worshiping me as the highest good, the greatest good. And you know what? I am. I kind of am. Worshiping the Lord as the greatest good is not wasteful. On the contrary, it's beautiful. Brothers and sisters, devoting time, devoting and setting aside money, devoting and setting aside resources to directly to worshiping Jesus is not a waste in his eyes. It's very easy to think that coming to church every single Sunday to worship Jesus, that's a waste, isn't it? It's easy for us to start thinking that way. What a waste. Such a waste of a sunny weather. It's a waste of time. I mean, this is like right in the middle of my day. I can't do a lot before and I can't do a lot after. What a waste. I mean, do you know what other really good things, what other really helpful things I can do at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday? I could be doing some good. Besides, I can worship Jesus anywhere, right? I don't have to drive all the way here to do that. What a waste, we say with indignation. And it's really easy for us to start thinking that spending time in prayer, setting aside that time in prayer every morning or every afternoon, it's kind of a waste. It's kind of a waste. You know, I could, I could be getting up and starting on my to-do list. Well, there's a lot of good things on my to-do list. I'm doing good for people. 
I could be enjoying my morning cup of coffee. You know, I could be available for other people who really need my help. And God likes that, right? He, does, he doesn't need me to block off time. I, I, I pray to Jesus all throughout my day. I don't need to block off time to pray for him. That's not necessary. It's a waste of a precious, precious limited resource. I mean, it's a little extravagant to do that for Jesus. That's a little excessive, right? What a waste. I could be so much more efficient. I'm praying and doing other things. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says that these acts of devotion are, get this, beautiful in the eyes of Jesus because they are a fitting response to him. Reason two. Jesus says, there's a time issue here. There's a time issue here. There is a temporary window of opportunity for this woman to show Jesus just how much she loves and adore him. And then that window will be closed. That window of opportunity will be gone. And somehow, we don't know, somehow she knows that. She knows that. Jesus is mere hours away from being killed, and then he is gone. The light of the world is going to go out, and it's going to get real dark on the planet. Everyone will scatter from him. Jesus will suffer a criminal's death, not a hero's death. And no one's going to want to be associated with a criminal's death. They don't want to go to that funeral. You understand what I'm saying? And he's going to be buried not by his friends, but by a stranger and put in a borrowed grave. Jesus has talked about this over and over. He's talked about it repeatedly with his friends, but none of his close friends have made any preparation for what he's told them is coming. Not one thing has been prepared for him. And it's not for a lack of them not knowing, right? Except this one woman. She knows and she does something. She anoints him, not with oil, but interestingly with perfume, like you would a corpse. So this is kind of like a, like a little grim to be doing this in a party. <laughs> She's like washing the stink off him, understand? Before the stink comes. She knows that at this point in time, there's just not going to be time later on to give him a proper burial. So she's doing what she can while she can, which just happens to be awkwardly in the middle of this dinner party. But she is taking her shot at showing Jesus just how much she loves him before that opportunity closes and gets away from her. So she's like, I'm going to take my shot with what little I have, which is a lot, years' wages. Jesus is no longer on a timetable now, right? He's outside of time. But we are. We are. You and I are years, maybe just months, or maybe just hours away from our death. I'm sure every one of you assumes you're going to make it to that parking lot by the time we're done. Am I correct? I'm sure you all have already assumed that. 
you're not guaranteed that. Time is of the essence. You won't always have the time to express your love for Jesus. You may not get next Sunday. You won't always have an opportunity to show Jesus that you really love him. So take the opportunity now. Now is the time. Don't do it so casually like you just got weeks and weeks to do that. Take the opportunity now, opportunity now, even if it isn't the perfect setting, even if the timing isn't just perfect for your schedule, even if your gift doesn't perfectly capture how much you love him. Imperfect but real acts of love towards Jesus are superior to perfect but hypothetical acts of love to Jesus. I, I just this is in my in my notes. I'm going to share. I may get in trouble, but whatever. Uh, I'll give you an example. I'm talking about first year of marriage, our first anniversary with Vanessa. I loved. I was like, I love Vanessa. It was the first year of marriage, right? You know, you got still got the goo goo eyes and everything, the honeymoon and all that. And I was just like, I we're poor, and I'm like, I don't have a gift that properly expresses how much I love you. And I looked around for things within our budget. And I was just like, there's nothing that does that. So you know what I bought her? Nothing. <laughs> Being that young wise guy, I thought I was like, I was I was proud. I didn't buy you anything. There's nothing good. You're smiling. Nothing is too. There's nothing good enough that I could find in a store. So she comes and she says, here's your anniversary gift. And she got, I don't even remember what I got. It was just some little thing. We've forgotten it. It wasn't worth much. She goes, and for me, and I went, let me tell you how much I love you. In my mind, I had this beautiful idea, hypothetically, in my imagination, that you are worthy of this, but I couldn't find it, so I got you nothing. And she just went, What? And I went, aren't you excited? Doesn't that express how much I love this imagine? And I told her what I wanted to get for her. It sparkled, you know? She's like, well, that's an okay thought. I'm just kind of sitting with nothing on the table, though, in reality. And she said, next time, give me a card at least. I said, really? You would appreciate it? She goes, uh, I'll appreciate a card over nothing. You know what? Jesus is kind of saying that to us. Imperfect but real acts of love towards Jesus are superior to perfect but hypothetical acts of love. You don't always have unlimited time to tell him that you love him or show him how great you think he is. Secondly, acts of extravagant love display the supreme value of Jesus' death. That's why this is appropriate. That is why this is a proper and fitting response to Jesus. Acts of extravagant love display the supreme value of Jesus' death. It's here in the text, verse 8. Jesus goes on and says, She's done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. This unnamed woman dumps the entire contents of a perfume bottle on Jesus from head to toe. As we read this, we, we can almost hear the breaking of alabaster 
when we realize that she's not saving one drop for herself later. It's all going on, Jesus. Uh, we, we can almost see her drenching Jesus. He's soaked. We smell the perfume that overpowers every other smell and aroma in the room. We watch a year's worth of money, possibly her life savings, slowly drip and drain into the dirt floor at the feet of Jesus. It's a scene. It's a scene. And Jesus interprets for us her silent, wordless actions. Remember, it's show and tell in Mark, right? He declares that she is anointing his body for burial and that what she has done will be memorialized forever. Wow. We don't remember her name, but we remember what she did. So says Jesus, the Son of God. What is going on here? Well, unlike the men in the room, this woman understands the great surpassing worth of Jesus and what he is about to do for her and the whole world. She gets it. How how, how can you waste that? And she's thinking, how can I not spend it on Jesus? How can I not spend that on Jesus? How can she not respond to such beauty with anything less than extravagant, over-the-top love? And by the way, have you ever noticed that, the, I mean, it's all through Mark, by the way, but have you noticed that the disciples are able to count up the worth of everything quite quickly, except the worth of Jesus? Have you noticed that? I mean, they know the cost of the perfume. They just got to look at the bottle. They know what's, how much is in there. Somehow they can count that up pretty quick. They know the cost of feeding 5,000 people and how long that I mean, they can do like the calculations. Of, they know what everything's worth. But the worth of Jesus, hmm. I have a hard time calculating that one, don't they? Isn't that you? Isn't that me? I know it's me. That's me all day and all night. Jesus ties her actions directly, directly to his upcoming death. I like what New Testament scholar David Garland says uh, here about this. He says, quote, The woman's pouring out of the costly perfume foreshadows the costliness of the pouring out of Jesus' blood. Why waste Jesus on a cross? The answer to this question is to be found in the very attitudes of the indignant grumblers, the treacherous leaders of the nation, and the traitorous false disciples. The world needs saving. Why waste this precious perfume? Well, why waste precious Jesus on a cross? Because you and I need saving. Isn't that beautiful? Why does she pour out something so expensive to her, so valuable to her upon Jesus? Because she knows what Jesus has been saying 
all along for 14 chapters. He is about to pour out the most expensive and valuable thing in the world for her. His own blood. Not his perfume and life savings, but his life. His blood. Her act of extravagant, excessive devotion and sacrifice for Jesus is beautiful. Why? Because it magnifies the supreme worth of Jesus to the watching world and everybody that was in that room that saw it. That's what she was doing with her actions, not with her words, with her actions. She is saying in a very visible and demonstrative way, Jesus is worth this much to me. And even more so, if I had the time to give it. But since I don't have that time, I'm going to do what I can while I can. Because he's supremely valuable to me. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has poured out not perfume, but his blood. So that you and I would be saved from the penalty that our sins against God righteously deserve. And by his dishonorable, criminal-style death, we are actually partakers in honor and glory. We get what he should have got. Isn't that amazing? That's the gospel. Do you, guys, do you understand? The perfect, the sinless, righteous Son of God died for us? For us? His precious life for our self-righteous life? I mean, his beauty for our ugliness and self-centeredness? I mean, we are people who can actually stand in the presence of Jesus and think that we're the morally superior ones in the room. <laughs> right? And Jesus poured out his blood so that we would not be judged for that. Wow. What a beautiful Savior. What a beautiful sacrifice. When we sacrifice something of extreme valuable to us for Jesus, when we pour out every last drop upon him, it publicly declares to a watching, skeptical world the supreme worth of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's what it does. We're saying, look, Jesus is more valuable than this. He really is worth this and more if I could give him more. And that is called being a witness. You guys have all heard the expression, less, less is more, right? And that's true. But you know what? It's also true that sometimes more is more. Sometimes more is just more. Sometimes the only appropriate fitting response to the extravagant love that Jesus has poured out on us is to extravagantly love, love him right back. And that means, can mean different things for you. That might mean that we change careers. That might mean that we take a lower paying job. Why? An extravagant devotion to Jesus Christ. Uh, that might mean that we sell our house and we move. Why? So we can be in a, be in a better position to more fully devote ourselves to Jesus Christ. And that might mean that we stay in a very difficult place to live. We don't sell our house. We just stay where we are and it's really hard. 
in devotion and sacrifice to Jesus Christ. That might mean that we become a pastor. That might mean that God's calling you to be a missionary. You'd never thought of that in your life, but maybe that's what that is for you. So that you could spread the gospel. And beautiful are the feet. Beauty is all over the scriptures, by the way. That might mean that we surrender our sexual desires to the teaching of Jesus. And we say, you know what? He's worth that. That's how supremely valuable he is. That might mean that we give away a large portion of our savings account to gospel furthering ministry. That might mean that we remove things that we actually enjoy and love from our, from our schedule for a time so that we can be more deeply involved in our church in making disciples. Why not be measured? Why not be efficient? And careful in our response to the gospel. Here's why. Because Jesus is worth that in our eyes. He's made us believers. To the whole world. And maybe to even other Christians. That might just be too radical. Why you got to be radical about your love for Jesus? I mean, that's just too extravagant. That's a little over the top. Hey, 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 hey. Because calm down. Like, calm down. You know you don't have to do that to show your love for Jesus, right? You don't have to do that. You don't have to pour out the whole bottle on him, right? He knows you love him. And we say, yes, I know I don't have to. I want to. I'm having a hard time holding back, actually. I want to do that for Jesus. I want to do what I can while I can to show him that I love him because he has poured out his perfect life for me. I want to pour out my life, imperfect as it is, for his sake and for his glory, every drop. Do you see how beauty makes us want to replicate imperfect as it is to the original? This is the power of beauty, brothers and sisters. And we say, look, I know it's not, it doesn't look very practical. Look, I know it does not look like very efficient use of resources. But the sacrifice of Jesus is just so beautiful to me. It compels me to respond in kind with beautiful sacrifice. I want to. Jesus says that that response is not a waste. Look at me. If you are responding to Jesus in that way, you are not wasting your life. I don't care what anyone says. Jesus says you're not wasting your life. You're not wasting your retirement. You're not wasting your savings. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. In his eyes, that's what the gospel does to ordinary people. It transforms sinful and fatally self-centered people into beautiful people. It makes us beautiful. Look, brothers and sisters, look again at the person of Jesus. Like, really look at him. And see how beautiful he is and respond to him in kind. Not in careful, teaspoon measured, non-committal actions, but with expensive, yes, costly, gushing devotion and sacrificial love. Amen. Let's pray.
Jesus, I just love talking about you. Thank you for your word. I just pray for just more opportunities to talk to people that don't know you. But how beautiful you are. And not keep this all cloistered here together. But to, Lord, just help us branch out and tell non-believers and skeptics how beautiful you are. Help us be moved by not just your truth and not just your goodness, but your beauty. Transform us by your beauty. Move us and cause us to follow in your footsteps. This world needs more beauty in it and less ugly. And that's you. That's you all over. So help us be Christ followers. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.